Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Now take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to feast on this chapter today, and I do mean feast. There's a lot here to take in. In fact, the rest of the, the rest of the book will be taken a chapter a Sunday as we make our way through this God Strong series. So don't be in a hurry when you come on Sunday. Okay, just you know, just relax. Everybody can wait. Whatever's happening out there can wait. It'll be there. Right? Don't let any distractions get in the way. We're, not, we're right here. We're right now in this moment. And there's an incredible God-strong story from King Nebuchadnezzar's life in this chapter. Every believer ought to have a God-strong story. Every believer. How you came to faith in Jesus. How God carried you, protected you, provided for you, comforted you. All along the way, we get these God-strong stories. In church, we call these testimonies. Testimonies. Uh, So when we're following the living God with a living faith, we're bound to have some living examples of His work in our life. Today is a significant day in my life. June 3rd, it's my 24th spiritual birthday. Yeah, praise him. 24 years, to, 24 years ago today, God saved me from myself and my sin. And he gave me a new life following Jesus. I was downtown at what they called the Hoosier Dome back then at a Promise Keepers conference with 62,000 other men. I did not really go of my own, uh, you know, my own want to go. I was there because my mom wanted me to be there. So thank you, Mom. At the end of that night, we had some powerful worship and a couple of messages from, from guys I'd never heard of before, and I, I responded to an altar call at, at that uh, event. Now, I grew up going to church. There, there really hasn't been a time in my life that I didn't know about Jesus. I didn't know about God's love for us. I thought I was a Christian before June 3rd, 1994. You know, I thought I was good. But as I grew from the place I thought I had given my life to Christ or, or trusted in Him, the only thing about my life that said I was a Christian was what I said, were, were my words. And sometimes my words would say otherwise as well. I mean, there was just no hunger for God. In my life, there was just this desire for him to do things for me. There was no thought about serving him. There was no hunger for his word. You know, I had God right where I wanted him. 
you know, kind of right over here, quarantined off to a Sunday for an hour, you know, I'll come if I need you, kind of a life with him. But 24 years ago, on this day, around 10 o'clock at night, I bowed the knee to my heavenly father, and he became my king, my God. You know, and that after years of walking my own way and hurting him and hurting people along the way. And that was the night Jesus' blood washed away my sin. You know, God, he, he just wrapped his arms around me and he picked me up and he dusted me off and he said, let's go. And I, I followed him. That's one of my God's strong stories. It's the most important one. It's the thing that began it all. Every believer should have a story like that. A God's strong story. In fact, if you don't have a story like that, it is a very good chance that you're still the one who's leading your life and you've got God right where you want Him. And that's a horrible, terrible, no good, very good place to be. Eternally perilous. So Daniel 4 is King Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. How he came to faith in our God. It has all the elements of a good God-strong story. And so I want to pray. Try to calm down. Just chill, Greg. Chill. And ask the Lord to do some work today. He wants to write stories here today. I believe that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, what a story we get to, to share in a story of your pursuit, your love, your call, your salvation, life with you, all of these things, Lord. And we come, Lord, with different lives, different experiences, different paths. And we want to just be able to come under you today and recognize the way that you've worked in our life. To see it, to understand it, so we can go on an adventure with you. So Lord, help us today without your spirit working in our hearts to be able to see. We won't see. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us today in that way and that you'd protect us today from the enemy. I know when these kinds of messages get shared, he, he gets busy. So cast him out. Cancel his plans in the name of Jesus this morning. Let this be a place of life and growth and faith today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, this God's Strong Story has an introduction in four chapters. So if you've got a bulletin and you like to take notes, you see there's five points in there. There's like two messages in one here. Now, the stories, God's Strong Stories, will not be cookie-cutter stories because we all got different lives. You know, people who didn't grow up in church and met Jesus, started following him, different story than people who have grown up in church, realized, you know, they really believe in Jesus and then, you know, start following him. 
So the stories are going to be different. We call some of those stories Paul stories, you know, where you get knocked off the horse. Some of those stories James stories, like James, Jesus' brother, you know, who grew up with Jesus and came to faith. So there's different kinds of stories, but we want to know our story. And the, the common theme of every God strong story is God. It's God. And verses 1 to 3, we get the introduction to King Nebuchadnezzar's story, a joyous compulsion. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell, in, that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So this message it is from the king himself. And it's basically everybody. Everybody on earth that will listen. I mean, he's got a story to tell and he wants everyone to know about what has happened to him. It seemed good to him. It seemed like the right thing to do. It seemed like the only thing he could do with his experiences with God. To tell other people what he had come to believe through the work of God in his life. That that, that is what... He starts off saying, he says, this is what the Most High God has done for me. His signs are incredible. His wonders are gigantic. His kingdom is everlasting and it is over all people for all time. You will not believe how awesome the Most High God is. Our minds are too small to comprehend him. Nevertheless, I'm going to tell you a story. Will you listen? Every good God-strong story begins with God. What God has done for me. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's looking back. This isn't happening in real time. He's looking back here in chapter 4 on what God has done for him. How, how he brought him to his knees in, in worship of the Most High. You know, it's really hard to see what God is doing in your life right now. But it's really easy to see what he's done in the past. Isn't that true? You know, when I was answering that altar call 24 years ago, I thought I was standing up making a decision to go forward, you know, and kind of come under Jesus and, you know, give my, give my life to Him. But as I look back on it, look, if it, I know this for a fact, that if it were not for God working in my heart that day, I would not have chosen Him. I would not have gotten up. I would have stayed seated thinking what they're offering, I've already got. I'm good to go. But that wasn't the case. It was God's irresistible grace that wooed me out of my seat and rescued me from my apathy toward Him. I've always known about Him. When I turned my life over to Jesus, the sins I thought were forgiven were forgiven. The life I thought I had became a new and abundant life. The worship I thought I was doing became real, authentic, Bow the knee, worship the Most High God kind of worship. And He did all this for me. And that's just the first story, you know. And then there's other stories. I look back on 24 years of following Jesus and I see a lot of big decisions that our family made. Started, you know, when I left Promise Keepers, I left with this thought. If He's going to be my Lord, I can't say no. I can't say no to Him. So I've been trying to say yes when He brings things my way. So it started off just, hey, would you lead our Sunday school class? Hey, would you lead our men's group? Oh, by the way, our pastor's going to come. 
I mean, these are big things, you know. And it, it, you know, then it was uh, finding a Bible-believing church. It was a huge thing in our life. Um, going into full-time ministry. Giving tithes to God. Homeschooling our kids. Um, starting a church. I mean, all of, all of these things. You know, when I, when I look back on these things, I don't see Greg's work. But grace upon grace that He enabled us to say yes to Him and follow where He has led us. This is not a Greg-strong story. It is a God-strong story. Greg is not strong. It's not. But He is. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't have been a pastor. I wouldn't love Him first and you second and me last. I wouldn't. I'd be trying to live on the beach Tried it just a couple weeks ago. It's pretty good. <laughs> this is a story of the Most High God and what He has done for me. And I have this joyous compulsion to tell you about it. Share it with you. Think about your own story. How would it start? What would the introduction be? You know, introductions are important. They set up a story so that you know the, the listener wants to listen. You know, I write one every week. Sometimes they're short, sometimes they're long, because sometimes it takes time to develop, you know, to, to accomplish the purpose, to get you to sit on the edge of your seat and go, I can't miss this today. That's what I try to do. I love King Neb's intro. You know, I am the most powerful man in the world, but I am not the most powerful. Oh, I can't keep this to myself. What God has done for me. He is awesome. Would you listen? This is what happened. What has God done for you personally? What has He done for you personally? You know, are you a Christian because you prayed a prayer somewhere in your past at, uh, at Sunday school or at youth group or at camp? And you go, I'm a Christian because of this. Or are you a Christian because God grabbed hold of your life, changed your heart, and got you going in a whole different direction? Because the latter is what makes for a good God-strong story. That's what we're looking for. And you get this joyous compulsion to tell people about it. Now, chapter 1 of this story, it opens up in verse 4, and it goes on through verse 18. It is a divine catalyst. So we're going to read that, verses 4 to yeah, it's 18. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in and told me, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. 
The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the, of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Okay, so the chapter, this chapter, chapter 1, begins, uh, the first verse begins with the reason for the chapter. King Nebuchadnezzar was at ease. He was prospering in his home. He was content and comfortable on easy street. He was enjoying everything that he had built and ruled over. And it's very often true that when we are prospering, We are not pursuing God. It's just kind of the way it goes. And see, God, he won't stand for that. He loves us too much. His grace and his love and his mercy will not let us continue to live our lives for ourselves. So he provides catalysts, divine catalysts, grace, reaching out to nudge us, to push us toward himself. See, we were created by him and for him. Our purpose is to worship him. We living for ourselves doesn't accomplish that purpose. It causes dissatisfaction in our life. When we live to worship him, something very deep inside of us gets satisfied. So we are here to know God and enjoy him and give him glory. That's why we're here. But the Bible says this in Psalm 14, 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. And then Jesus said in uh, John 6, 44, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So that tells us on our own, if it's left up to us, we're not going to seek after God. We're not going to be spiritually minded to go after him. We will pursue Comfort and contentedness rather than the creator. That's what we'll do on our own. But God is on mission. He is on mission to save people to himself, to know people. And through the dynamic ministry of the Holy Spirit, he shows up in our lives and he provides catalysts that trouble our waters. That's how he gets our attention. 
So King Nebuchadnezzar, he got a dream. This dream troubled his peace. It must have been like a nightmare to him. Because he goes into action. I mean, it's deja vu all over again. I mean, get all the wise men here. Let's talk to them. Let's get the, get the uh, interpretation of this dream. Tell me what it means. When they can't do it, he goes to the top dog dream interpreter. You know, he must have been busy, you know, running all the affairs of Babylon. So they couldn't, couldn't bother him with this first. But anyway, you have to go to him. Why does he go to him? Because he's a man of God. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar describes Daniel as a man of God based on King Nebuchadnezzar's faith at the time, which was pantheism. He had all of these gods in mind. And so Daniel has one god, and he's showing the gods. So all of that in your Bible is in lowercase, which is pretty cool. Um, So he goes to Daniel, and King Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel this dream. Saw this magnificent, beautiful, huge tree that reached up to heaven. Everybody could see it. Everybody was benefiting by it. Man was eating fruit from it. Animals were coming under the shade. Birds were resting in its branches. All of this. It was amazing. And then this holy one from heaven, this watcher, comes with a message, which we can think of as an angel. An angel shows up in this dream, and he orders this incredible tree to be cut down, but to leave a stump protected. And then the message changes from this uh, angel with a pronoun. He says, "Let the, the heavenly being said, let him live outside, let him eat like an animal, let him think like an animal for seven periods of time. And then he says, this is a judgment from heaven. This is coming from the top. Why? So that the living would know that the Most High rules over the kingdom of men. And it is He who gives it away, even to the lowliest of people. That was my dream, Belteshazzar. Tell me what it means. The catalyst stirred him up, disturbed his comfort and contentedness. What did he do? He ran to a man of God to find out what was going on. Can you recognize any divine catalysts in your story? You know, the way that God reached out to you, troubled your waters, the way he showed up in your life and got your attention. You know, in my experience, God has used people a lot to be divine catalysts uh, in my life. My mom and dad, um, huge uh, catalysts. For me coming to faith. Larry and Joyce Ostendorf, when I was a teenager, God used them to get my attention. And uh, now they're being used by God to get my kids' attention. So that's really cool. Um, so after I was saved, um, you know, my pastors, they were constantly catalysts from God, nudging me along. My wife, Lori, has been huge in my walk with God. My kids, my kids have nudged me uh, to seek God. And my parents continue. My siblings. I mean, miracles happen, people. <laughs> Friends that love me like Jesus. Enemies that have troubled my waters. Partners in the work like Pastor Shane. And, and you know what another big catalyst is? My Bible. My Bible. So just think back. Think back in your life. Think about your story. When was your peace disturbed? And you ran to someone who you knew had faith. You went to someone who knew God. And you'll find a divine catalyst. Now, there's going to be many of them in your life. 
Many of them. King Nebuchadnezzar, this wasn't the first dream that he got from God, right? It's happened before. He was after Nebuchadnezzar. He had just saw or, or witnessed sometime in his history with God um, a miraculous protection of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when he was like, you know, these guys are going to die. Nope, he's not. They're not going to die. And he said, you know, this God is, is the mighty God. Why is all this happening to King Nebuchadnezzar? Because God wants King Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And he wants yours too. All of it. So here's the thing. Every catalyst that you can identify is an expression of God's love for you. He is after you. Coming after you. He wants to know you. So if you're thinking about your story right now, and you're thinking, you know, my story is more about what I've done than what God has done. And if you're able to to have that thought right there, I want you to know, God is nudging you right now. To be able to see your life that way, He's nudging you right now. So I just want to encourage you to keep listening because we're only getting chapter one. Now also, it is a very good possibility that as a follower of Jesus, you are going to end up being a divine catalyst in someone else's God's strong story. Just by living your faith. God will use you to be a catalyst to get other people's attention. You know, preaching God's word, it puts me in that role a lot. But you don't have to be a preacher. You just have to be a faithful follower of Jesus, living your faith out loud in front of other people. And they know when life gets too hard, when something comes along and they can't handle it, when their waters are troubled, they're going to come to you. And they're going to say, what's going on? How do I get through this? Pray for me. That's what they'll do. And when they come, it's 1 Peter 3.15. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. So know your divine catalysts. They are expressions of God's love for you, evidence of his love for you. And be ready to be a divine catalyst. Because God wants to use your story to bring other people to himself. He does. Chapter 2. A compassionate call. And it starts in verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. So Daniel, he hears the dream, and he knows immediately what it means, and it messes him up. I mean, he can't talk for a little while. Uh, I laughed at one commentator that I read. He said, Daniel was speechless for an hour. Uh, an hour. How'd you get that? You know, the Bible says a time, a while. And then I started thinking about it. This is probably a pretty good translation. Have you ever gotten news? Have you ever gotten news that troubled you and you couldn't talk for an hour? This was heavy on Daniel's heart. This is really messing with him because he loves his king. So Daniel has some news of what God is going to do in Nebuchadnezzar's life that's not good and his heart is burdened. But the king encourages him, come on, Daniel, tell me. Don't be afraid. Just tell me what it means. And then Daniel's compassion comes out in the next words. He says, oh, king, may this dream, may this dream be for somebody else. May it be for the ones who hate you. May it be for the ones who are your enemies. And then he spills the beans in verse 20. 
There's that huge tree you saw that was so big, so beautiful, so magnificent, that was providing and protecting that tree. It's you. You have grown. You have grown large. Your, your kingdom reaches to the ends of the earth. But here's the bad news. That angel that came from heaven, you know, and said, chop the tree down, but leave the stump. And started talking about that do thingy. Started talking about that animal thinking thingy. That's going to happen to you. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to be sent out to pasture. You're going to eat with the oxen. Until you learn the lesson that God rules over you. Until you know that God is God. There is a silver lining. That stump means that you're going to be, after you've learned your lesson, you're going to be restored into your former position. You're going to get your kingdom back. And then verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. That is a compassionate call. That's proclaiming the gospel. A call to believe and a call to obey. That's what Daniel's doing there. Daniel sees a storm coming in his king's life. And he's pleading with him here to turn to God as his God and pursue him by turning from his sin and living for him. Practicing righteousness. Practicing mercy to the oppressed. Now, a lot of times, this is where a God's strong story will come to a, to a close. You know, people will uh, have a defined catalyst. They'll run to someone who's godly or they'll go somewhere. They'll go to church and they'll hear a divine call to believe and obey. And they'll answer the call. Daniel was giving King Nebuchadnezzar a chance to avoid pain, to avoid hardship that was coming in his life. He loved his king enough to tell him. To give him a chance to believe. Do you remember the call that you answered to believe in Jesus? You know, the day that you understood that, that God loves you and wants to know you. The day your heart was broken over your sin. The day you, you bowed the knee to the one who died for you, asking for forgiveness, asking for his presence in your life. I kind of turned away from the old life, started the new life following Jesus. You know, that kind of thing never happens unless there is a compassionate call from the church. A proclaiming of the gospel. People will not believe unless they're called to believe and obey. They won't. Has it happened to you? Have you answered the call? If it has, it's part of your God's strong story. If it hasn't, it could happen today. This very day. King Nebuchadnezzar was presented with a choice to see how God had been pursuing him through his dreams and the miraculous signs and, and believe that he's the only God and that he, and that he wanted to be his God. You know, living a life of sin and self may look good 
at times. It may look fun. It may look comfortable. It may look like they're all prospering. You can read Psalms of David saying, God, why are they all doing so good? The people who don't know you. For a time, sin can do that. But you know what the Bible says? The wages of sin is death. It's death. And so if you sow sin in your life, the fruit that you're going to harvest is discouragement, disillusionment, depression, destruction, death. All of that comes from sin. And if we would recognize that, you know, for ourselves, we will we'll want to avoid sin. It's not good for us. But you know what? If we would recognize that for other people, it would become the most loving thing that we could do for someone who doesn't believe in Jesus to give them a chance to do that. The most loving thing. So we who have God's strong stories have a responsibility to share them with people who don't. They're not just facing eternal death after they die. I mean, that's a huge thing, right? But they're facing death in this life. Hardship, difficulty, struggle, broken families and marriages, lost jobs and and money. We're a mess. And we know the answer. We have got to find a way to share them. You know, when we were away, there was a shooting at a school right here in our community. And every time there's a shooting in a school, you know, the, um, the airwaves get polluted with a lot of political stuff. Nobody pollutes the air with Jesus Christ. Nobody stands up and says, Jesus is the only one who can fix this. And he is. Because he's the only one who changes people from the inside out. Everybody else is talking about how to fix the outside or how to keep the outside from messing up. So we better let the government figure that out for us and just live by the rules that they tell us. That's how we get into trouble. That's how we lose freedom. Jesus is the only one who can solve the problems in our country, in our world. He's the only one. Why? Because he gives people a brand new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I, I know it's, it's complicated. But church, this is where we got to start. Right here. Sharing Jesus with other people. Nebuchadnezzar, he is right at the point where God is ready to do heart surgery. He's right there. He's heard the call. What's he going to do? Well, we got to keep reading to find out. Chapter 3, verses 28 to 33. A crushing crisis. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. 
At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers. And his nails were like bird's claws. So. King Nebuchadnezzar takes in what Daniel tells him. And he sits on it for a year, 12 months. And then he's walking out there on his rooftop palace. And he's he's looking out over the kingdom and he's like, isn't this the great Babylon? which I have built for my glory. It is one of the hardest things to do in your life, to surrender your life to God, especially when your life is good. Here, King Nebuchadnezzar He's doubting the dream. He's doubting what Daniel has told him. Look at this amazing city. Look at what I have built. It's all for my glory. Now, pride is a sneaky sin. It hardly ever reveals itself out in the open like this. In fact, King Nebuchadnezzar is most likely on the palace rooftop all by himself. And this is what comes out of his heart. You know, so pride doesn't usually do this unless you're a politician. But, you know, that, that's another thing. So, we won't. Pride is always promoting self. It's, it's always promoting self. It's always saying, look what I did. Look how great I am. It's always promoting self. Now, some people like King Nebuchadnezzar, they're always putting themselves out there, always wanting man's applause, always saying, man, you're a great guy. Pat him on the back. Thanks so much. You're amazing. They just don't do it as brazenly as that. So pride's always promoting self. Pride is always protecting self. It's always pride is never wrong. Pride is never going to take responsibility. Pride will never submit to somebody else. It always knows better. It always criticizes others. It always has to win, and it will always be a sore loser. That's pride in our life. Did you know that the pufferfish can inflate itself up into a ball to evade its predators? Did you know this? You will today. So they fill their elastic stomachs up with water and with air sometimes so that you know they're bigger than the predator that's coming. But that's not their only defense. Inside of them, they have this poisonous toxin that's 1,200 times more poisonous than cyanide. 
And so it makes them have this foul taste and lethal to other fish. And there's no known antidote for it. Well, see, like puffer fish, human beings can blow ourselves up with pride bigger than we, than we really are. And this pride can become toxic in our life, toxic in our marriages, toxic in our churches, in our families, toxic at school, in our jobs. It can do a horrible thing. And the worst thing that it does is pride keeps us from coming to God. It keeps us from Him, from knowing Him. And like the puffer fish, we are born with this toxin on the inside of us. But there is an antidote. It is called humility. God is usually the one who administers the antidote. And usually that's going to come in the form of suffering. A crushing crisis that's bigger than we are. Something we can't handle. Something that causes us to look up. Immediately, as King Nebuchadnezzar spoke these prideful words, he gets the voice from heaven sending him out the door to the fields and to eat the grass and to lose his mind until he knew that God was God and wanted to be his God. Until he knew that it was God who prospered Nebuchadnezzar and it was really, all of that was for his glory and not Nebuchadnezzar's. And you can see God working this way in the Bible if you look back and you can find stuff. Remember Joseph in Genesis? Joseph had a family crisis when his brothers betrayed him. And then he had a, a reputation crisis when Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. And then he had a prison crisis when the guys forgot about him in prison. And all of that caused him to look up. Uh, Jonah, he had a fish crisis. Got him to look up. The prodigal son, he had a hunger crisis. Those pig pods were looking good. That's what caused him to turn his, turn his heart toward home. All of these crises were humiliating experiences that God sent or allowed in their lives to produce the same antidote, humility. And that's what takes down the pride in our hearts. Can you look back in your life and see tough times that were just bigger than you were? Things that just took you out. How did they impact your relationship with God? That's part of your story. It's part of your God's strong story. When your body's breaking down and you're fighting a disease, where do you turn to? When your job is in jeopardy or it's gone, who do you run to? When there's too much month for the money, who do you look at? Who do you look to? See, it's in the turning and the looking and the running that our suffering turns into God-glorifying events in our life as we turn to Him. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar's introduction, you know, it wasn't, i got to tell you what God did to me. No, it was what God did for me. It's a huge difference. There's purpose, uh, there's purpose in pain in a believer's life and in an unbeliever's life, and it is to get us to look up. Are you in a crisis today? Something that's... Bigger than you are? I want to encourage you to look up. Look up to Jesus. Look up for help and hope. Look up 
to the Most High God. Someone who can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. He's there. But you got to look up. You can fight it. You can get mad at God about what's going on. You can let your pride keep you from coming to him. But I promise you, if you just look up, there is someone who is magnificent, awesome, loves you more than anyone ever could, who will help you and help you get through it. But you got to look up. Anyone know what I'm talking about? That's because you got a story. you got a God-strong story. One more chapter, chapter 4, verses 34 to 37. A new convert. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So the perfect period of time is over, the seven periods of time, and what did King Nebuchadnezzar do? What was the first thing he did? He looked up. He looked up. His mind comes back and he blesses the Most High God. I'll praise and honor and glory to him who lives forever, whose kingdom goes on forever and is over all people for all time, who does what he wants in heaven and on earth. Who are we compared to him? Who are we to say, what are you doing, God? That's his, that's his opening statement. That's the words of a new convert, somebody who has faith that God is real and, and really God. So just as the dream indicated, King Nebuchadnezzar is restored to his kingdom. He goes back to his former position and actually grows in greatness. Um, all his officials come, reestablish that. And then he concludes his God's strong story there by describing his life with God in the last verse. He says, now life is different. Now I, King Nebuchadnezzar, live to praise and honor and extol the king of heaven. Everything he does is right and just. He humbles those who live in pride. And the first part of that conclusion is going to be the same for every convert, for every God-strong story. We live our lives to worship God. It's what we're created for. When we start doing that, I mean, that becomes the purpose for life, fulfilling that deep need inside of us. Um, it fulfills uh, the calling that we have to show people who God is as we live for him. And I know we don't always get that right, and, uh, but, but our hearts are, are changed to want to do that every day. The second part of what he said, that he humbles people, it's not going to be the same for everybody because everybody's struggle isn't the same. You know, so it's going to be a little bit different. King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, had this huge struggle with pride. And he had witnessed the power and witnessed uh, and experienced that power of God in his life. But up to this point, he had not bowed the knee to say, you're my God, you are the most high. 
And so his, this monster struggle with pride, this is how he concludes his God strong story. God, save me from my pride. You know, my struggle with pride with God wasn't a fight about who's running my life. It was apathy. It came out in apathy toward God. Oh, yeah, God's there. You know, I, I know where he is. I got him right, right where I'm, you know. That, that's how it was in my life. And so I always say, God rescued me from my apathy toward him. And you know, then I got this conclusion. It's in Psalm 51, verses 12 and 13. It says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. I underlined that in my Bible. I put a date in there. Because when I read that, I was like, I wasn't in ministry yet. It was amazing. That's how my story comes to How would your story come to an end? What would, what would you say? Since I met Jesus, life is different. How? I know that Jesus helps us overcome crippling sin. I know he helps us overcome addiction. I know he loves the unlovable. I know he forgives the unforgivable. I know he resurrects the dead. How would it end? How would your story end? What's life like as a new convert? Do you know your God's strong story? Do you know it? If you, if you haven't ever done this, write it down. Write down your story and send it to me. I want to read it. I love reading these kinds of stories. Do you have a God's strong story? Do you have one? Because if you don't, right now, in this moment, you can get one. See, based on this story in Daniel chapter 4, I expect to see King Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. The question is, will I see you? Will I see you? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together here, up here at the, an altar of prayer time we come, and we, re, we remember what Jesus has done for us by taking a piece of bread, and, and which is his body, and taking a cup, which is his blood. And, and these are symbols of what he's done for us, how we are forgiven from sin, and how we have life with God, and He's told us to, to do this, um, to remember Him. If you don't have a story this morning, let me be the one to tell you. God loves you very much. He loves you right there as you sit, right like you are, right? You don't, you don't believe that. God loves you just like you are in your mess. And what's going on and your mistakes, all of that stuff. He loves you. He knows you the most and loves you the best. I love that. It's amazing when you start to think about that. He loves you. He created you. There is no one else like you on the planet. Even identical twins have different fingerprints. Nobody like you. And you know, my God, your God, doesn't make mistakes. You're not a mistake. You just make mistakes. And those mistakes that we make, they cause us to be prideful. We don't want to admit the mistakes. We want to do something to make up for the mistakes. But here's God, a holy and perfect God who loves me so much. And you know what? I don't want that. I don't want him in my life because of the mess I am. But here's the thing the Bible tells us. 
God showed us his love in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. While we're still adding to the sin, that his blood was poured out to be forgiven. He loves us. He showed us that in his son Jesus. And what he did for us. Jesus, his perfect son, who came and lived our life, who suffered our temptations, suffered our cross so that we wouldn't have to. Dying there, putting in the tomb, three days later, conquered death. He is alive today. He's here right now. And he wants to know you. He wants to know you. This is your call to believe. To believe and obey. To put your life in his hands and follow him. And if you'd like to do that today, just come up here to the altar of prayer. And just come up and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of the mess I've made in my life, my sins against you. Come into my life and do something new. It's that simple and that hard. If you do that today, I promise you there'll be a new chapter in your life called a new convert and the angels will be rejoicing in heaven if just one of you does it. Just one. Believers, this altar's for you to come and remember how we have life with God. Jesus died, broken body, blood poured out. How much blood would have had to been poured out? Just one drop. So precious. But there's enough for all of us to cover us all. So come and remember the ultimate God-strong story and thank Him for yours as you come. Spend some time in prayer when you're ready for the elements. Glance up to the elders and they'll, they'll serve you. You can kneel or you can sit in the front row. Let's pray. For this is what the Lord Himself has said about His table and I have passed it on to you before. That on the night when Judas betrayed Him, the Lord Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks to God for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take this and eat it. This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new agreement between God and you that has been established and set in motion by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the message of the Lord's death that he has died for you. Do this until he comes again. Heavenly Father, as we come to your table today with this story of King Nebuchadnezzar coming to faith in you and how you worked in his life, how you used Daniel, how you used crises, we see lots of similarities, lots of things, expressions of your love coming at us. Showing up, calling us. Now you're calling some today, Lord. I pray that you give them the grace to believe and obey. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you. You are the King of Heaven, the Most High God, who rules over the kingdom of men from generation to generation. And we praise you, Lord, for the grace to know you to love you and to, to want to follow you. And as we go out today, we ask your spirit would fill us up to overflowing, spill out over, Lord, um, onto other people today through our lives. Let us shine a light that draws them to you. Um, and we trust you, Lord, to use us how you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.